presented by BP. Good morning, everyone. I'm Playbook co-author Ryan Lizza. It's Thursday, September 28th. Here's what's driving the day. House Republicans formally kick off their Biden impeachment inquiry at 10 a.m. in the Oversight Committee's Rayburn hearing room. If you're expecting breathless new revelations, don't bet on it. The GOP's witnesses, a forensic accountant, a former DOJ tax official, and a constitutional law professor do not have firsthand knowledge of the Biden family's financial dealings at issue in the panel's investigation, but rather appear poised to interpret the facts that Chair James Comer has already released. Over in the Senate, indicted Senator Bob Menendez saw even more colleagues call for his resignation yesterday, pushing the total to over 30. But he managed to hold off Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and several others appeared to be giving him a chance to explain himself in person, which he intends to do during a closed-door caucus lunch this afternoon. Watch to see if anyone comes off the fence after that. And of course, last night, while Donald Trump spoke in Michigan, seven of his rivals for the GOP presidential nomination debated at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California. And here with me now to break down the debate is Adam Wren, national politics correspondent, who is actually uh, out in California at the debate site. Uh, Adam, it looks like you're uh, in an undisclosed location. <laughs> you're outside the debate site. Uh, yeah, I am outside of the debate media file tent, looking out over the moonlit Simi Valley, just a couple of yards from Ronald Reagan's gravesite, actually, here talking to you just minutes after the debate. So if Ronald Reagan were resurrected and watched that debate on stage, what do you think he would have said, Adam? You know, one of the surprising things that I noticed tonight is just how little he was name checked. You know, yeah. DeSantis mentioned him once. You know, Ramaswamy seemed to appeal to the implicitly to the Reagan 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of a fellow Republican a few times. And, you know, but very few, you know, Tim Scott referred to a shining city on the hill. But I was, to be honest with you, much more expecting Reagan and his ideas here at the site of his presidential library to be much more a focus uh, uh, tonight. And though he was in these sort of glossy pre-debate ads that Fox had and, you know, setups, we, we really didn't hear a lot of Reagan's sort of vision. Uh, you know, DeSantis mentioned peace through strength, but he was uh, largely absent from the debate, even though we're here uh, on the grounds of his library. Yeah, not really his party anymore in a lot of ways. Adam, just let's take a step back. Give us your overall impressions of the of the night. I mean, it was a bit of a hot mess um, from my perspective in the comfort of my of my living room, with the the moderators having a tough time gaining control of the debates. Perino at one point had to threaten to shut someone's mic off, but there are long stretches where there was a lot of crosstalk. Kind of a tough environment to really break out or change the the, the sort of d dynamics of, of this race, just in broad strokes, what did it look like to you? Yeah, Ryan, I think that's an accurate characterization. What it seemed like to me at times was sort of a youth soccer game where there's a melee around the ball midfield, but everybody is sort of forgetting the object of the game, which is to score a goal. In this case, the goal being distinguishing themselves from Donald Trump, who is lapping all of them by double digits in many early state polls and national polls. And I just didn't see a lot tonight of attempts to 
distinguish uh, their candidacies from Trump's. You know, DeSantis kind of took a, a mild shot saying that Trump was MIA at the debate. And Vivek Ramaswamy kind of mentioned that, you know, his party was really beholden to no individual person, but it was the American People's Party. So no one really, you know, took a an honest square shot at Trump. And that really struck me. And you're sort of left with the sense after tonight's debate and even going into it, like, what are we what are we doing here? This is sort of the what are we doing here primary where none of the also ran candidates are willing to to go after Trump. And so why not? Why, if you're a GOP voter, you know, looking at this debate tonight, what compels you to like one of these candidates as opposed to Donald Trump? And more importantly, if you're a GOP donor, what did you see tonight that compels you to back one of these campaigns? Having said that, and I, I agree with everything you said, there were a few swipes at Trump, nothing in terms of groundbreaking attacks that would really distinguish them from Trump or weaken him, at least in my view. And I think you agree. But um, there were a few swipes, though. Let's go through a couple of them. Chris Christie is Donald Duck line. What's going on there? Is, is Christie just calling Trump chicken or ducks? <laughs> yeah, it's sort of it sort of fell flat. It felt like a little cringy almost. Yeah, cringy, which is rare for Christie to not be able to land a punch like that. But I was struck by Christie sort of assailing Trump from the right on spending. He noted that uh, Trump ran a deficit by seven trillion dollars. Uh, so I thought that was one of the more perhaps only substantive criticisms that, that we saw all night. Uh, but there, you're right. There there were a smattering of swipes at, at Trump. Another another line of attack, Adam, Ron DeSantis early in the debate, he, he kind of had the same thing. The Instead of saying he was ducking the debate, he said Donald Trump is missing in action and then accused Trump of adding to the debt and helping create inflation. What did you make of DeSantis and his ability or lack thereof to distinguish himself from Trump? You know, I think what we learned again tonight is that DeSantis has a very difficult time landing a punch unless it's scripted. And even when it's scripted, it kind of feels that way. So just he really struggles, I think, to be a candidate who isn't wooden on stage in, in the moment. And so really, I thought he didn't really have much of a, uh, of a distinguishing night compared to his first performance. It was sort of more of the same. Let's talk a little bit about Nikki Haley, because she she mixed it up with uh, a number of candidates. And this is, falls into the category of like interesting things that happened in this debate that probably are not very meaningful in the in the primary <laughs> writ large. Um, but she she really seems to not like Vivek Ramaswamy. Um, she also mixed it up with her fellow South Carolinian uh, Senator Tim Tim Scott. Um, I'm curious what the what the reaction was in the in the in the w with the folks you were watching it with and and what you what you thought of. Uh, I, I, and what you thought of Nikki Haley's performance tonight. There were some jaw-dropping moments she had, for instance, saying that whenever she heard Vivek speak, she felt dumber for having heard him speak. That was something. I mean, that was that's one of the most personal shots I can remember in a primary debate. Yeah, there were gasps among the journalists in the, the media file tent, you know, drop jaws. It was remarkably personal. And so, you know, she came to play tonight. One of the biggest takeaways for me was the fact that no candidate other than maybe Scott towards the end there really sought to arrest the momentum that she accumulated from her first debate performance. You know, I've talked to pollsters in Iowa who say that her first debate performance really gave her life, uh, something to the tune of eight points rising in the polls and one of their private polls of Iowa. 
and and tonight I don't know that anything happened that changed that momentum for her. Uh, certainly someone who sees themselves as a fighter, someone who tells other candidates openly to underestimate her at their own peril. And I think we saw more of that tonight. You know, she really kind of came with a Rolodex of criticisms of a number of of the other candidates, including, of course, Vivek, in that fiery exchange we saw there, that clearly there's some growing antipathy between her and Tim Scott. Uh, and so really kind of some striking moments from Nikki Haley tonight. And then finally, Adam, I do think in the first debates, even though it really had very little impact on this primary, there were some substantive policy differences that were teased out on abortion. We really got a clear view of where all the candidates stood on what they think the federal government versus the states should do on abortion um, and, and, and a few other issues. Anything interesting that you saw tonight in terms of policy differences that were really made clear on that stage? You know, just the growing specter of China in the GOP primary, there was, you know, substantive discussion about China, you know, buying up farmland in the United States. And I think when that's talked about in such a concrete way, it really resonates with voters, agricultural voters in states like Iowa, where that is a, a key issue. And so in some ways, I do think that tonight, as much of a melee as it was at times that you're right, that we did see some substantive divisions on policy such as such as abortion you know the threat that china plays you know and i think pence was fascinating at times he really was unique among the candidates and having a strategy of actually attacking people who were pulling above him uh, and so that was particularly interesting to me as well but overall adam but overall adam um doesn't seem like a debate that is the kind of debate that we've seen in previous cycles that is going to have a big impact on this race. I know it's always, you always have to be careful with these kinds of, of predictions. You never know what, what breaks through. That's right. And, you know, my sense, Ryan, is that these debates are a little bit like uh, prestige dramas where, you know, you watch the debate uh, and that's in one sitting and then there's a lot of narrative discussion about it the next day. And in some cases, you know, impressions change and develop over time and cement differently. That could happen here. But broadly, what we saw tonight was a bit of a sideshow, a bit of a kid's table with these other sort of also ran candidates you know, scrambling for second place as, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden spent their weeks in Michigan, a battleground state, essentially kicking off in some ways the general election. And so the next debate is six weeks away. And I'll be fascinated to see whether we see some candidates drop before then. The polling threshold at just 4% isn't that big of an increase. But I think the growing question tonight does what is what is happening here? How are any of these candidates going to make up the gap between them and Donald Trump? Great stuff, Adam. As always, thank you very much for joining us. Good to be with you. And for your schedule today, the House and the Senate are in. President Biden will deliver a major speech about democracy during remarks honoring the legacy of Senator John McCain at the Tempe Center for the Arts in Arizona. Later on, he'll attend a campaign fundraiser. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. Those are just two of the ways BP is investing in America. 
See more at bp.com slash investing in America.